so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. He is risen indeed. No, you're supposed to. <laughs> you didn't say hallelujah. That I'm was not going to say hallelujah. I thought I you were going to say hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't <laughs> seem like a hallelujah part. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week for a special Easter edition of the podcast is, I was going to call you a fearless co-host, but I already did that. So my usual co-host, Brent Leatherwood. (laughs) Typical. Typical. Average. (laughs) My average (laughs) co-host. That's not true, Brent. Well, uh, hello, Lindsay. It's it's good to to be with you. We are awaiting uh, an expected line of storms here in Middle Tennessee. They're 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 going to race through, and and we will see what sort of events transpire. It, this time of year, it always the weather in in Nashville is always uh, hit or miss. It is well, which which I don't. If we actually get some sort of destructive weather, is is that a hit or is that a miss? If we get destructive weather? Yeah. I mean, because it's a miss in terms of like our schedule. It, it just makes That's things. Right. Yeah. But I guess it's a it's a hit if it actually does strike us. Right. I, I don't know. Yes. Well, I would like for there to be in certain places of employment, just a moratorium on work when there's bad weather like rain, because it's just good for <laughs> napping. <laughs> In the months you know, of like April and May, we wouldn't get any work done. Yeah. You know, we shouldn't make light of it. I, I'm My heart goes out to our friends up in the Dakota Baptist Convention, the Dakotas, mm-hmm. because I saw one estimate they're anticipating that they will get something like, is it 40 inches of snow? Some crazy amount of snow up there. The, the, the snow drifts, will be higher oh. than my oh, house. Yes. yes. I have lived in a place with obscene amounts of snow in Michigan where we would get lake effect snow. Fortunately, they're prepared for that, but still, it's no joke. I think there's obscene amounts of snow in Nashville. So uh, Michigan an and the Dakotas yeah. uh, are just not uh, not for me. No. Thankfully, we're not. it's not snow, snow weather here right now. And our... April showers are going to give way to May flowers, which I cannot wait. But while we're waiting for that to happen, let's go ahead and talk about what has been going on in the world. And we're going to start off with what we've been talking about at the ERLC this week. And first up, you know, this week is Holy Week. We are uh, remembering Christ's journey to the cross. We're remembering His sacrificial death for those of us who trust in Him. And we are remembering the 
glorious event of the resurrection that secures all of our hope for forgiveness of our sins and eternal life in Him. So I wanted to really share some of our Easter content this week. And first up, there's a piece by Andrew and Jennifer Spencer, and it's titled, How to Help Your Family Prepare for Easter, Making a Plan for Family Devotions Any Time of the Year. And I do appreciate this article. I realize it's coming Easter week, so you can't exactly plan too far ahead. But one of the things that they say in this article is that you can learn about Easter, you can make a plan for family devotions, and start a year out from Easter. You could start the week out. You can start the month out. There is no hard and fast rule here. There's no command from God in the word that this is how far out you have to start. The command is in Deuteronomy that we are to be teaching our kids the ways of the Lord as we go about our day, when we rise up and when we lie down. And so you can do that anytime. So they give a couple of tips about a plan. Uh, They give some tips about how to incorporate not just auditory listening to the word, but including your other senses as well, because sometimes that can help children interact. And they give a couple of resources that you might want to look up that will help you focus in on uh, really what Good Friday is all about, what Easter is all about, and help your children to see the amazing sacrifice that Christ made for us in hopes that they will trust in Him. I love how the, the Spencers, just to underscore the point that you were making, They write, to understand the significance of Easter and Christ's resurrection, people, including children, need to have a bigger picture of him than a baby in a manger and then a dying man on a cross. We need to better understand all of Scripture, which is usually more than a weekly Sunday school class can provide. It would be helpful to use the week before or the year before to prepare our families for understanding the wonder of the resurrection. And that reminds me of a quote I I think I've I've shared it here before, probably even uh, last Easter, but it it reminds me of a quote that Dr. Moore used to just share with us that our work at the ERLC, we always need to be pointing to, even if it's, you know, at a time like, like Christmas, we always need to be pointing to the hope that comes with Easter. And I think that quote is, is so helpful because uh, it applies not just to our particular work at the RLC, it it applies to our daily rhythms with our family. And we just kind of need to be reminding our children, as well as just individuals out there that we interact with, we need to be reminding them of the the good news that that Jesus's life, death, and resurrection proclaims. And and we don't just need to be doing that around this time of the year. Lindsay, as, as we were talking before, you know, what, what sort of devotionals do you have with, with your children? I, I love our church. Uh, it, it provides so many helpful resources. And I realize uh, not every church is able to do something like this. But this year on Palm Sunday, uh, they gave us a little seven-day devotional uh, that, that we can read through uh, with our children. So it's really accessible for kids. And, and so that's what we've been doing each night around the supper table, just reading through that. And it's got just little questions that I think help kids to be thoughtful about what this week means, what Holy Week means, and uh, what Jesus's death and resurrection uh, means for us. And so uh, little resources like that, gosh, I just love them. This week, I love this week. <laughs> you were making fun of me earlier, uh, just because I was trying to find uh, different 
Good Friday services and, and, and Holy Week services to try and go to and visit different churches around town. And so, yes, Lindsay, I do that uh, around Christmas time and around Easter time. Well, speaking of Good Friday, Brent, I think a lot of times, especially in our culture, in our Christian culture here in America, we like to get to the good news. We like to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, of course, because it is our hope and it is true. And it reminds us that Christ has the victory, the ultimate victory over death, but we don't want to deal with death. And it's not fun and it's not natural. And we have an article by Whitney K. Pipkin. She actually writes and does some work for women and work. And it's titled, What's at Stake When We Brush Past Death and How Our Theology Equips Us to Face It Instead. And she says this at the beginning of the article, from 2019 to 2020, the death rate in the United States jumped by nearly 19%. And preliminary data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention indicates it jumped another 2% in 2021. If you survived the last two years, it's likely you know someone who didn't. And that's what the pandemic has forced us to do in a culture that is obsessed with health and has a long lifespan, which, you know, living is a good thing. Being healthy is a good thing that we would all want. In that kind of culture, we we oftentimes just don't have to face death. And we have been face-to-face with it during the pandemic, with the war now going on in Ukraine and it being in our social media feeds and on the news constantly. We're just aware of death. And Whitney says, we As a Christian people, we don't have to ignore death. Instead, God's word equips us with a theology of death. And she says, when we grow a greater theology of death, we are also more equipped to offer to the world, and I would say to our own hearts, the kernels of hope it contains. Because when we we realize the bad news, then we are able to see the good news for how great and how glorious it is. And that is the truth that Christ has conquered sin and death and disease, he has overcome it. And one day, those who in Christ will not have to grapple with those things anymore. Lindsay, this is another great piece. And I I loved how you said there, our culture, it does want to just kind of sidestep the issue of death and just kind of pretend it it really isn't something to, to be reckoned with. And that's because we are, we're in this this age where uh, youth and vitality are, are just idolized and, and worshipped. And, but the reality is death is something uh, that we have to reckon with. It will come for all of us. And Whitney Pipkin writes here, God cares for the dying and the grieving, and he wants his people to do this well too. And part of doing that is uh, doing it well, I should say, is making sure that people understand uh, death is not the end of the story. Uh, because of Christ's death, we can have eternal life uh, afterwards, and that just that that just kind of that whole thought it reminded me uh, a friend of ours of the RLC over at the Gospel Coalition, Matt Smethurst. He tweeted out earlier this week: "This is the 250th anniversary of William Cowper's magnificent hymn, There Is a Fountain.'" And he pulled this out of the the lyrics. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And praise God, that is the truth. And this week, 
we need to be actually celebrating Christ's death. So that way we can proceed through life without the fear of death. And I, I just think those those themes are just they're so resonant given what uh, Miss Pipkin wrote here for us. And we need to be ones that are out there talking to this culture that that wants to ignore death, doesn't want to address it. And we need to be a people out there who are actually talking about it and talking about it in a redemptive way. And what you just said there at the end sets me up for the final article that I want to share, which is just a beautiful piece of writing. And that's by Alan Cross, our friend out of Alabama. He's a pastor. And the title of this article is, As She Lay Dying, Reflections on Death, Fear, Hope, and the Life to Come. And he writes about a lady that he went to visit who was in the last days of her life. She was a believer, but not a member of his church. And uh, a member of his church wanted him to go visit her. She was in her 70s. And he recalled, as he drove up to her house, Ecclesiastes 7-2, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. And he said that visiting with her was a really powerful experience for her. He didn't know if she was going to be angry, you know, about the situation she was in, or if she was going to be gentle, but when he went to go bless her by visiting her, she ended up blessing him and he tweeted about it. And he said, I'm going to read you some of the some of the tweets that he wrote. He said, I just sat with a dying woman. She was going down to a list making calls to old friends. She said, God is a fisherman and he caught her. And even though she tried to swim away, he reels her back in. She was very peaceful. I read scripture to her as we talked about God's love for her. Tears fell from her eyes, grace. Uh, the doctors give her only a few days. Before I left, I hugged her. She thanked me for stopping by, but really I was the one who was grateful. Her body is failing, but her mind and spirit are clear. It was an honor to sit with her. I told her I would see her soon on the other side. It's the most real thing there is to sit with someone dying, just to be with them, with their mind firing and laughing and tears and words and stories, and to know that in just a short time, the flicker of life will be gone. But we hope in the God who raises the dead. And he just reflects a little bit more on his on his visit with her and the profound ministry that we're able to have to the dying as we, especially those who are in Christ, as we're able to sit with them, uh, to hold their hands, to pray with them, and to remind them of the life that is to come and that Jesus himself is the resurrection of the life and that our hope in him will not disappoint. Well, Alan is such a gifted pastor, and he's also uh, an incredibly gifted writer, we featured him now the last couple of weeks, and, and we're hoping that, that maybe he'll have a, a, an additional piece here uh, soon, uh, next week. And so I'm thankful for this reflection that, that he has given us. And it, it really, you know, we, we talk about death and how we need to speak about it in a redemptive way. And I'll just confess, even as a member of my church, I often forget the essential role uh, that a pastor plays in those final moments. It's truly a picture of being a shepherd where you are escorting a sheep, a, a member of, of your flock on their, their last final few steps of, of their journey. And, um, you know, you just don't, you just don't think about that often enough, but our pastors out there are doing such incredible work 
such an incredible service that they are rendering to the kingdom in these very intimate, touching final moments. And, and so that, that that's what Alan's reflection here just kind of made me think. And but again, it just is just serves as another reminder. You know, death is just it's just a transition phase uh, as we are ending our journey here in this time between times. And we get to go as a believer, we get to go to the place where where God's plan is actually manifest, the way that he wanted it to always be. And so we were never meant to die. It was only because uh, of our sin uh, and sin. We know it, it requires there uh, to be a penalty and the penalty for sin is death. And so we are born sinful creatures. And, and so we know that, that we do have to die. But thankfully, because of this very week, the promise of this very week, we get to be resurrected alongside Christ. And, and I'm just so thankful for that hope. And that's, that's just what we need to continually be coming back to. And I'm thankful for those writers who uh, communicated that so poignantly, so appropriately to us on our site this week. I would encourage you to go and read these articles. They don't take very long to read through, but I do believe that they will bless you and they will spur you on to uh, more faith in Christ. He is a sure foundation. So Brent, that's your look at uh, what we've been talking about on ERLC.com. Moving into our culture section this week, Brent, why don't you give us the rundown? Well, Lindsay, we've uh, certainly a, a good part of our conversation up till now has actually revolved around death. And unfortunately, it is a reality. And it is a reality that people in Ukraine are facing right now. So much so that for the first time this week, President Biden is accusing Vladimir Putin of committing genocide in Ukraine. So this first story comes to us from the news outlet Axios, and it says this, President Biden on Tuesday accused Russia of committing genocide in Ukraine, saying, quote, it's become clear and clear that Russian President Vladimir Putin is just trying to wipe out even the idea of being Ukrainian. While Biden had accused Putin and Russian forces of committing war crimes, the U.S. had previously refrained from using the term genocide to describe Russia's actions in Ukraine. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said earlier this month that the administration, quote, had not yet seen a level of systematic deprivation of life of the Ukrainian people to rise to the level of genocide in Ukraine. Here's what the president actually said. Your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, None of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide a half a world away. Biden said this earlier Tuesday while addressing rising consumer costs during his remarks in Iowa. So just to explain that a little bit further for our folks, President Biden was giving a speech in Iowa uh, where uh, ethanol subsidies are a big deal and ethanol is a major component of modern uh, gasoline. And so he was talking about a switch that his administration is going to make for gas consumption later this summer that some folks expect will, will help ease some of the pain that we are facing at the pump. And as he was giving this particular speech, he made this comment 
about the the war in Ukraine. And it certainly raised some eyebrows because uh, this is the first time that this term has been used by anyone in the administration. Well, and this isn't one of those times uh, that we would say, "Uh uh-oh, Biden made a blunder, correct? Like we would support him like we did with the Uyghurs and the administration declaring it a genocide officially. We would support this. Right. So, uh, you know, there's been a a few instances recently where the the president has said some things that, you know, kind of make you scratch your head. So, for example, a few weeks ago, when he was visiting American troops stationed in Poland, he said something to the effect of uh, you, meaning the troops, will soon see the carnage firsthand because you are going to be in Ukraine, which kind of you know, a lot of folks are like, wait a second, is, is he saying we're getting ready to be actively involved militarily uh, in Ukraine, which is something he, he had previously said is not the case. So that one, I would say, is definitely a gaffe. Uh, there was another line that came at the end of a, a very uh, fiery speech uh, decrying the heinous actions of Vladimir Putin. And at the end of that speech, he basically said uh, something, just to, to paraphrase it, this man, Vladimir Putin, cannot remain in charge. And a lot of folks took that to mean, oh, is he signaling a change in U.S. policy, essentially asking for there to be regime change in Russia? Well, a lot of his administration officials immediately tried to walk that back. I would actually say that's that's probably Joe Biden, the man, speaking directly from his heart. I mean, that that's kind of what President Biden has been known for throughout his his career. It's just kind of having no filter <laughs> as things just kind of come right out of his heart. And, and I think that's one of those instances. This one is definitely, I would say, actually, it's, it's neither one of those. This, I think, is actually something where the administration is trying to put, they're trying to put something out into the environment, a, a specific word out into the environment, because as of this point, there have been no administration officials trying to walk this back. And the president has actually only gone on to further tease out what he was meaning by using the word genocide. So I, I, th- there's something of substance here with this. This isn't a stream of consciousness thing. This isn't a, a mistake that he was making. Th- this, I think, is actually signaling uh, where the administration uh, is going. You know, I do have one comment to make about the disconnect, and it's not a—it's not necessarily a President Biden thing. It's any president. It's more of an American mentality thing. When he says, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about the price at the pump when there's a genocide happening. And absolutely, it is the government's responsibility to help us with those things. Many people, I mean, prices are crazy. Many people cannot afford them. So I'm not saying anything about reducing prices. I'm just saying the juxtaposition of those two things against each other, like the price that we're paying against gas, you shouldn't have to worry about while people in Ukraine are facing a genocide. You know, it's like price at the pump versus life. It's just a stark reality to me about the the price that we're paying versus the price that Ukrainians are are paying. And again, that doesn't diminish not being able to afford things that that we need in order to function it just it, it just shows the high the high price that they are paying over there which is the price of their lives right absolutely well switching gears from what's happening on the international front to something that uh, happened uh, a heinous crime that happened this week in New York City uh, 
So this next story comes to us from NBC News, and it is about the subway shooting that took place in Brooklyn. Uh, The man now considered a suspect in the Brooklyn subway shooting appeared to post videos of himself on social media expressing bigoted views of violence and criticism of New York City Mayor Eric Adams' policies addressing public safety and homeless outreach on subways. New York police on Wednesday identified Frank R. James, 62, as a suspect in the Tuesday morning rush hour attack that wounded at least 10 and injured 13 others. He was previously just a person of interest. A $50,000 reward is being offered to find James, who police said had addresses in Wisconsin and Philadelphia. They also said that he rented a U-Haul van, the keys of which were found at the scene of the shooting in Brooklyn's Sunsets Park neighborhood. One of the photos police shared of James was a screenshot of a video from the, quote, Prophet of Truth 88 YouTube channel, a platform where he appears to go on lengthy, profanity-filled rants and express controversial views. So there are other stories out there that talk about just the uh, sheer terror of the moment. Uh, People you know, a a subway car opens and there's smoke everywhere and and people are screaming. The good news, uh, if there is good news out of this, everyone who was injured are all expected to survive. Uh, So thankfully, this is not going to be worse than it it already is, it it seems. But hopefully, uh, authorities uh, will be able to, to track down this individual and prevent him from doing this again. So this just seems like some crazed motivation, fanatical, religious fanatical, I guess, uh, motivation. I'm not even sure you could uh, describe it as as religious, but it is certainly fanatical. And so many of these individuals, some of them kind of have a coherent worldview uh, where they're they're trying to uh, make a point. I, I'm not even sure that they've reached a conclusion about whether this individual is coherent. But certainly there is some level of competency to be able to plan and execute uh, a crime like this. That is just awful and terrifying. You don't want to be afraid that when you go on the subway, you could step off and get shot. But like you said, if there is some good news in this, it's that everyone is expected to survive. That's right. That's right. Okay, and our final story uh, for this week uh, comes to us from the news outlet National Review, a conservative news outlet that uh, we have uh, talked about often on the podcast. And this deals with a Christian detainee who has escaped the Uyghur concentration camps over in China in the uh, Xinjiang area. So from the story, a former Xinjiang prison camp detainee who escaped to America just days ago, described his harrowing imprisonment in an extensive interview with National Review, including details of forced injections that he and others were given of an unknown substance that caused painful and debilitating reactions, as well as obedience. The survivor of Walbeck Turtigan spoke with National Review through a translator during a sit-down at a Washington hotel late Tuesday. These are among the most extended comments he's made uh, on the 10 months that he spent in the Xinjiang prison camp in 2018 since he arrived in Washington on Friday with his wife and their 11-year-old son. Their escape followed a years-long ordeal that took them from Xinjiang, China to Kyrgyzstan and at last to the United States. 
Turnikin's testimony is expected to reveal new aspects of China's mass atrocities against ethnic minorities in Xinjiang. Turnikin said he and other detainees had been beaten with batons and tortured in what's called a tiger chair and shocked with an electric wand for falling asleep during that torture on multiple occasions. He also detailed at length the practice of injecting prisoners with an unknown substance, which, in his case, rendered him unable to walk for a period of time. So uh, this this survivor of these concentration camps in uh, western China, uh, th- this honestly, this could be a, a pretty pivotal moment. And, and folks know that this has been an issue that we at the RLC and the SBC cares about. This could be a pretty pivotal moment in terms of capturing uh, the attention of uh, American society and hopefully bringing more uh, outcries and support to the ethnic minorities that are over there. It's particularly important uh, that this individual is Christian. The, the majority of individuals that are being put into these concentration camps are actually Muslim in background, uh, although the, the atrocities that are occurring there are actually against the Uyghur people. And so it's a, it's a broader ethnic group than, than just Muslims, but, but the vast majority of them are Islamic. But the fact that this individual is Christian, a number of folks in and around Capitol Hill will, where he will be giving uh, his testimony think that that will help draw further attention uh, to what is going on. That, uh, because China likes to say, the Chinese Communist Party likes to say, oh, well, we're doing this to stamp out terrorist elements that are in our midst. And there is just nothing of the kind to even give that any sort of a a basis in reality. Instead, what this is, is ethnic cleansing that is occurring within the borders of China. And as folks who uh, value our fellow image bearers out there, we should stand against this. Yes, these details that he is providing which we've known some of them are precisely why we are advocating for the protection of the Uyghur people, for the truth of what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to be revealed. And it's why we have advocated for pieces of legislation to be put into effect, which they have been, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act and the Uyghur Human Rights Act, calling for the horrible things that are being done to them to be recognized and for uh, proactive steps to be taken in order to um, dissuade the Chinese government from doing what they are doing. And it's also important to note that the Southern Baptist Convention at our last annual meeting adopted a resolution in favor of the protection of the Uyghur people. Right. And particularly relevant to this gentleman's testimony is that resolution that you just talked about. It made the SBC the first faith community in the United States to call what is happening to the Uyghurs a genocide, uh, which was very important. And and that is a determination uh, that had been made by the Trump administration. It's a determination now that that's been made by the Biden administration. So uh, if anything, we need more individuals out there recognizing the truth of what is being perpetrated against the the Uyghur people and other ethnic minorities in that region by the Chinese government. And hopefully, this harrowing ordeal 
that this individual and his family have had to go through. Hopefully, this will actually lead to uh, action. And uh, we have been very consistent that America must morally oppose China in no uncertain terms about what is going on there and stand against uh, the Chinese government and the evil uh, that is occurring within its midst. So, uh, Lindsay, uh, those are kind of the three top stories of the week for this Holy Week edition of the podcast. We're kind of keeping it a little short uh, on some of the culture content, but needless to say, that is your look at This Week in Culture. Well, thanks for that rundown, Brent. And now it's time for The Lunchroom, where we tell you what we're talking about with each other. Brent, what have you been ruminating on this week? Well, uh, obviously, uh, what I've been ruminating on is is Easter, <laughs> uh, as we, we kind of talked about earlier. But our friend Matt Martins, uh, for folks who don't know, he is perhaps one of the foremost voices out there in the public square uh, as it relates to criminal justice reform. Uh, he's a fellow Southern Baptist. Uh, he attends Capitol Hill Baptist in our nation's capital. And so we're really thankful uh, for all the work that that Matt does. But he authored a great piece over at the Gospel Coalition website called Christian Hope in Life, After Life, After Death. And it, it's a great piece where he just draws from uh, some of his experiences. And uh, he just talks about the hope that we have that is rooted in the resurrection. And I, I just thought it was a, a, a really helpful piece and Matt talks in this piece about uh, all the individuals that we have lost over the, the last uh, few years, which, as we mentioned earlier, have been two of the, the deadliest years on record. And he talks about that, and then he gets to this. This brings us to the good news of Jesus, the resurrection story to beat all resurrection stories. There were other people in the Bible raised to life after death, but they're no longer with us today. Jesus, however, was raised never to die again. He broke the permanence of death. The story of Easter isn't about how Jesus went home on Good Friday or was whole again on Holy Saturday. No, Easter is the story of Resurrection Sunday. That's when Jesus was made whole. Uh, and I, I love these sorts of reflections that tease out these eternal truths that we are reminded of because of Holy Week. And uh, Matt did a, a commendable job with it. And so therefore, I'm commending it to you, Lindsay, and to our, our listening audience. Well, thanks for commending it, Brent. As one who does titles, that's such an interesting title. Christian Hope in Life After Life After Death. I will definitely have to check that out. And I'm thankful for what the Gospel Coalition normally puts out for um, the good of the church, the building up of the church. It's always, I just always find it so helpful. Keeping in along the lines of Easter and the themes that we've been talking about and, and Good Friday, I actually wanted to recommend a book by my friend Colleen Chow. Colleen, I think I actually have mentioned her on the podcast before. I just don't remember how long ago it's been. She is 40-something. She wouldn't mind me saying that. She got married when she was 34, had a child at 36, and he is 9 or 10. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer a couple years ago, underwent chemotherapy and 
surgery and all that actually has come back and it's now terminal. And so uh, the doctors, of course, have given her a timeline. She and her family trust in the Lord. They're doing what they can in order for her to live well. But she's a beautiful writer. She's written several pieces for us on the ERLC website. And she has a book that has come out. It's titled, In the Hands of a Fiercely Tender God, 31 Days of Hope, Honesty, and Encouragement for the Sufferer. And I would encourage you to get this for anyone in your life that you know is walking through a hard time. Colleen is the real deal. She walks with the Lord. She loves Him fiercely. She uh, is in His Word constantly. She's saturated in Scripture. She loves people well. And she has suffered and is continuing to suffer immensely while hoping in Him. And so I I wouldn't hesitate to recommend this to anyone who is walking through a hard time. I think it will, rather than causing us to wallow in our hardship, I think it will lift our eyes to the hills and to our God, who is where our help comes from. Well, it's just uh, just playing on. Uh, see, that's the thing, Lindsay. We're being so consistent today in the themes that we're talking about. <laughs> I imagine, without having read this book, but because you have, I, I know that it's it's going to be good. But I would imagine that it is helping to illuminate for all of us. And, and look, I need this reminder all the time that the sufferings that we have in this life uh, the challenges that that we face, while while they are bitter at times, while they are sorrowful at times, they are also reminders that this is not our home. And I, I need that. Uh, I need that reminder quite a bit. And I'm I'm sure that that is exactly what Colleen. Some of the truth that she pulls out of her own experience. I'm I'm so thankful. I, I love it when people are drawing on stories from their own lives. And I'm, I'm really thankful that, uh, that she wrote this. You know, Brett, we love to joke around and laugh and uh, cut up on this podcast. It seems like our, <laughs> our themes have been a bit more, more uh, serious today. But again, as we've said, we're forcing us to face the realities of living in a fallen world. And yet those realities will give way to the greater reality that Christ has overcome sin and all that sin has led to. And that's the hope that we get to celebrate this Easter. And we hope that you as our listeners are able to rest in that truth today in the midst of whatever circumstances you're facing. And we pray that the Spirit would fill you with joy as you celebrate our risen King. Yeah. So, I mean, what better way to end it than happy Easter, everyone. Yes. Happy Easter, everyone. And as we will say when we gather on Sunday, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. In addition to listening to the ERLC podcast, be sure to check out our other podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday and its host is Jason Thacker, who is a leading voice on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy issues that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. 